Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show. How you doing, baseball fans? And welcome to the very last edition of the Gibby Show, presented by Miller Lite, the official beer of Major League Baseball and the Gibby Show. I'm John Arezzi. This will be our series finale. It's bittersweet, uh, but it's been a great ride, and we want to end this show the way we started it in 2022 by providing you with some great baseball memories from those associated with the Toronto Blue Jays and with Gibby now with the New York Mets as their bench coach. I was handed the keys to the car a few weeks back, and today uh, we do finish up that journey. We have a great farewell for you today. Joining us on the leadoff will be the man who gave Gibby his shot. As a member of the Toronto Blue Jays, he was Gibby and my roommate back in 1981, the early days of the Mets, and he later went on to work in the game for 43 years. None other than J.P. Ricciardi will be joining us shortly. We'll also have the last Best of Gabbing with Gibby segments brought to you by Tim Hortons. And today's Best of shows the love for Toronto, for the Toronto Blue Jays, the city of Toronto. Uh, We've pulled some amazing clips from the archive, so sit back, relax, and get ready to share the love with us. And inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, we will have a special toast to end the season and this program. But let's get right to the leadoff. On today's final leadoff, we bring on a person who was also a baseball lifer in 1981. As a prospect for the New York Mets, our guest shared a house with two other prospects and a rookie baseball executive. I was that rookie baseball executive. Mike Hennessy was the other baseball hopeful, along with a first-round draft pick for the Mets in 1980, catcher John Gibbons. Our guest went on to have a 43-year career in the game, which stops along the way with the Oakland A's where he spent 16 years working with Sandy Alderson, Billy Bean, uh, in the revolutionary Moneyball era. He rose the ranks to be the director of player personnel there before becoming the Toronto Blue Jays general manager in 2001, spent nine years with the Jays in that role. Later, he returned to the New York Mets front office for a role in 2010, working again with Sandy Alderson, and also in 2018, shared GM duties uh, with Omar Manaya and John Rico when Alderson took a leave of absence uh, due to his fight with cancer. In December 2018, he went to the San Francisco Giants as a senior advisor of baseball operations, remained there uh, through this past season. It's my pleasure to bring on my and Gibby's old roommate, J.P. Ricciardi. J.P., how the heck are you? <laughs> Hey Johnny, how it's you doing? Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, it's been nice to doing catch well. up over the years. Yeah, it is. I think the last time I ran into you was in spring training uh, when you were with the Mets. Uh, could have been 2017, I believe, or 2018. Uh, you were very kind to my nephew, Dominic, who talks about you to this day. Uh, you know, that great Italian bond, that great Italian heritage. Uh, but it's so wonderful to have you on, really, on the last Gibby show as John's taking that job with the New York Mets. So we got some really cool things to talk about with you today. So uh, let's get started. Uh, I want you to put on your cap, your back to the future, or back to the past cap. And it's the beginning 
it is 1981. Uh, tell us about that early journey with the Mets, and uh, when was the first time you actually met Gibby? Well, I met Gibby uh, in 1980. I played in Little Falls, and, and Mike Hennessy and Gibby played in um, – they played in uh, – I forgot the uh, – Kingsport so was it Kingsport, Tennessee? It was Kingsport. They played in Kingsport. So we came to spring training, and uh, I had I had gotten to know Hennessy because he was kind of between both levels. Uh, and then we 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 came to spring training in March of '81. So that's where I met Gibby. And in that spring training, you know, I played a lot with Gibby, you know, along with all the other guys, Billy Bean, Daryl Strawberry. It was it was a, a collection of a lot of different guys. Uh, but once we were assigned our teams, you know, Gibby and and Mike. Uh, you know, we were trying to figure out a way to to live together. So, uh, so uh, February, March, about that time is when I first met Gibby. Okay, and and I was uh, part of my job back uh, then uh, with the Shelby Mets was to assist the players in finding some housing, among a myriad of other things, from sales and you know you do everything in the minor leagues, as you know. So, uh, uh, I think uh, Gibby approached me first and. Uh, and I had a house. There was another executive in the house, and uh, there was a lot of pressure on the sale. So he got fired pretty quickly. So the house was empty except for me, met Gibby. And then all of a sudden, it's like uh, there's a quartet of us, uh, three ball players and one uh, New Yorker <laughs> trying to coexist in, uh, in, in a little house in uh, what a lot of players called, and to this day, Heldy, North Carolina. So uh, it was kind of cool to, to be roommates with you guys. Looking back now, I mean, it's it's laughable and it's fun. Uh, but at the time, you know, it's you really don't know any better. You know, you don't really. And, you know, Hennessy's from New Jersey. I was from Massachusetts and Gibby's from Texas. And we're in this deep, deep southern Bible yes. Belt, really restricted area. It was it was such a culture shock for me personally. Uh, but yeah, we get through it. We did. Yeah, I remember going out. Uh, I was all like I was 22, 23 years old going out there to try to sell advertising for the Mets. And as you said, it was a very deep Bible Belt uh, town. And when I would go into some businesses, you know, they would uh, there was a lot of businesses. There was a lot of prejudice towards northerners uh, in that little town. Uh, and I'd go in and some you know, some people would call me a Yankee, you know, it's like, you're a Yankee, you know, and I'd say, no, sir, I'm with the Mets, you know, so <laughs> I try to diffuse it that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that first day I sold a couple of big fence signs and a couple of big program ads. And, and uh, you remember the owner of that team, Jack Farnsworth. Yeah. Yeah. He owned two teams he, in that league. Yeah. St. Louis uh, in Gastonia in the South Atlantic league. And of course the Mets and, uh, one of the most interesting uh, guys I ever met. I mean, uh, you talk about uh, being frugal with the dollar, saving every penny. They used to wash the balls, I guess. They used I to. Remember uh, I remember that. I remember that. He treated everybody equally bad. Yeah, but equally bad is right. So that was that was kind of crazy. And I remember him even paying kids like he'd pay them in hot dogs and sodas. Uh, to chase down foul balls and grab them away from the fans who caught the foul balls. I mean, that's how bad it was. Uh, so anyway, that was an interesting time, I'm sure, for you guys as well, just trying to break in. Uh, and uh, I do remember when Lenny Dykstra showed up as well in 1981. And uh, the last time I saw Lenny, he just he kind of like 
and this was at the Hall of Fame when Piazza was being inducted. Lenny just had a book out, and I seen him on the street. He was selling his book. He had a table set up, and and we and he's like, yeah. He goes, I remember you, dude, when you picked me up at the airport, and I thought hey, I just signed a a major league, you know, I just signed a professional baseball contract. And you take me to a blank in high school field, you know? So he was, he was not happy. Uh, he was not happy about uh, that, but it was an interesting team. A lot of guys uh, seemed to rise up the ranks there. Uh, um, so it was an interesting time to be in the minor leagues. And that's where yeah. your friendship uh, really started with Gibby over the year. And it developed yeah. from there. Yeah. yeah. Along with a lot of other guys and, uh, you know, obviously, Gibby became very, very close and, uh, you know, lifelong friendships, which is one of the nice things about playing sports. Yeah. What uh, stands out to you most uh, in your memories uh, of that year and your growing friendship and bond that you were developing with, with John? Well, I think the one thing that I think I speak for every minor leaguer when I say this, um, you're in it together. You know, it doesn't matter what round you were drafted. It doesn't matter how much signing bonus you got. Everybody's in the same boat. You know, you don't have anything for the most part. You're all trying to just scrape and claw and get by. So you really rely on your friendships. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, some of those friendships have become lifelong friendships. And and I would think that some of the other guys have gone through the same experience too. But um, I think just learning how to, to get along, learning how to get through things and learning how to the kind of battle while you're trying to achieve something, you, you know, you're all set your, your minds on from the time you were little. Uh, I think those are the things that, uh, that you take away from it. It's, it's not really the baseball in the end. It's really just the, uh, the friendships you make. Yeah. And it's been enduring for sure over all the years. Um, uh, your career uh, as a player didn't last very long and, uh, but you wanted to stay in the game regardless. And uh, you became a coach, I believe, uh, early on after your professional uh, playing career was over. And did you go where to the Yankees first and work in their system? Yeah. Once I got released, I, I decided that I wanted to stay in the game, obviously, in some capacity. And I was offered an opportunity to coach uh, in the Yankee organization. And I took advantage of it. Uh, didn't plan on being a coach so early. But, you know, when they tell you your career's over, your career's over. You got to learn to move on. Um, so I coached in the Yankee organization. Then from there, I went to the Brewers organization. And from there, I went, uh, I got a job with the A's and that, that turned into, uh, something pretty special, but, you know, just uh, yeah. wanted to stay in baseball and, uh, was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do it. And, uh, you know, didn't want to say no and, and pass it by. So I just took the bird in the hand and ran with it and it ended up working out pretty good. Yeah. Did, uh, when you went over to the A's, was it, uh, was it Billy Bean that helped bring you over there? Cause he was also in the Mets. Uh, he was also a, a top draft pick in 1980 uh, with a, a straw and Gibby. Uh, so was that connection uh, part of it uh, with, with Billy? No, what happened was I was working for the Brewers and I was uh, running the okay. extended spring program in Arizona. And I became okay. friendly with Dave Hudgens, who is now one of the coaches with the Blue Jays. And Dave was running the, uh, A's extended spring program. So we played each other all the time. We got to know each other really well. And he said that the uh, A's had just been bought and that they were putting a lot of money into the the team and they wanted to have scouts, which they didn't really have scouts at the time. And they were looking for scouts. And he said, you know, this the scouting director's name was Dick Bogard. He might want to talk to you. So I called Dick and uh, he offered me a scouting job. And, uh, you know, for me, it was a combination. I could scout and I could go on the field. So it worked out uh, really well. And then obviously that was 
that was around 85, 86. And then, uh, and Billy was in the minor leagues with the A's, I think around 87 or 88. So obviously it rekindled oh, okay. our friendship. It rekindled our yeah. friendship. Yeah. And then Billy obviously played on the 89 team that won the world championship. And then the next year, Billy moved into the front office. And so I was working more closely with him at that point because he had started to do more things on the Sandy. So, you know, we rekindled our friendship, we rekindled our relationship, and then, you know, we, that, that took off yeah. as well. Yeah, that was kind of an amazing time. Uh, I mean, did you realize back then when this was all starting to happen uh, with uh, De Podesta, Sandy, Billy, yourself, uh, that the game was actually getting revolutionary? It was becoming revolutionary uh, with, with what later became known as Moneyball. Uh, so uh, tell us a, bit, a little bit about, you know, how magical that time was or how different it was and game changing it was for the game of baseball. Well, not to give you the long story, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest yeah. version. But when I first went to the A's, the A's were bought and owned by the, the Levi Strauss family, the Haas family. And the Haas family mm -hmm. was really driven to win and wanted to put a winner in Oakland. And they spent money on the team. And then what happened was after we had an amazing run, 88, 89, 90, we went to the World Series, 91, 92. 92, we went back to the playoffs. The club was sold sometime around, I'm going to say, maybe like 95, 96. I'm not 100% sure. But the new ownership came in, and the new ownership was a lot more frugal than the Haas family was. The Haas were amazing owners. Um, so basically, they said, we're going to be a very small market club. We won the World Series in 89. We had a $42 million payroll, which sounds like nothing now, but at the time was one of the highest mm -hmm. payroll. So anyway, now we've become a small market club. And now Billy is Sandy's assistant, and we're trying to do the best we can with no money. So really, that is the advent of Moneyball. We didn't have any money. So we had to try to dig up players. And it was fun because we did dig up a lot of players. I mean, I, I could give you a list of guys that, you know, yeah. Billy and myself and the rest of the crew dug up and signed and developed and ended up being good players. But Moneyball was more surviving with no money than it was this great idea of how to do things. Um, I think we've got a lot of credit for a lot of things that we did, but it was more survival than anything else. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is, um, it, it certainly changed the game and it was out of necessity <laughs> rather than it was oh, yeah. a, a grandiose plan. It was just kind of, we got to do this to survive and, and to try to make the best team possible. And of course, uh, uh, you know, it was proven, uh, very much and so. We, we, um, did. We, we did do a good job. I mean, not to pat ourselves on the yes. back, but, you know, we were able to be very competitive. Yeah. Um, God, we played the Yankees in the playoffs. Uh, you know, we just didn't have the horses to get over the hump, but we drafted really well. Right. We had a really good farm right. system. And then we supplemented with, with very aggressive, smart six-year free agent signings, minor league trades, rule five acquisitions, uh, any way we could acquire a player, we could acquire a player. And, and the nice thing about Oakland at the time was it was a very, very small group. So we had the ability to just do a lot of things. Uh, now front offices are so convoluted and, and overstacked and this and that. And it was yeah. really, it was Billy, yeah. myself. And yeah. I introduced Billy to Paul D. Podesta. He didn't even know who Paul D. Podesta was. I brought Paul D. Podesta over. And then Paul became a part of our front office and, you know, but we never really had a big front office. We, we had the, uh, the freedom to do a lot of things. And uh, that was what was really fun about being in Oakland. 
Yeah, just the idea of a handful of guys doing it. And today, there's just a multitude of teams and divisions, and it's just it, it's become crazy for sure. Uh, you decided that, uh, or I guess around the 2001 season, uh, you were led to Toronto. So tell us, uh, uh, tell us what prompted that move to uh, uh, go to Toronto and become the GM. Well, I really never had any desire to be a general manager. It wasn't really on my radar. I was very happy in Oakland. They were treating me really well. We, we had a lot of autonomy. I could do a lot of things. Uh, and then Billy called me up one day and said, hey, the Blue Jays just called for permission to talk to you uh, about being their GM. And I said, I'm not really not that interested. And he said, listen, as your friend, I really think you should go. Just go through the process. So I said, okay, I'll go through the process. And uh, so I went up. I got, I got there for a uh, I think my interview was at 11 o'clock. I got to the hotel. I interviewed at 11 and at 12 o'clock, they offered me the job. And I was like Ralph Cramden, uh, you know, humming, 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 humming. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't really, I didn't think they'd ever offer me the job. I just thought that, you know, they just wanted to keep getting ideas from people. And I called my wife right away and I said, you know, they offered me the job. And Diane said, well, I'm not surprised. I thought they would. And so long story short, I turned it down. Came home. Day later, my wife woke me up at like 530 in the morning. She said, listen, you got to take this job. Uh, you may never get an opportunity to do it again. I know the kids are young, but we'll make it work. And we did. And, and honestly, I'm really, really glad I did it. It was a great experience. Uh, the city of Toronto was outstanding. Wonderful people. Uh, I wish we had a little different payroll. I wish we had the payroll they have now. Uh, but you know, yeah. that it is what it is. I mean, that's, we knew the rules. Yeah. Well, I didn't know the rules, but I knew the rules after. Um, so we tried to do the best we could with a, with a very limited, limited payroll. And in some cases we did well, in some cases we struggled, but it was a great experience. Absolutely. You spent a lot of years there. And of course, uh, your friendship with Gibby remained. And then that led to you, uh, bringing him into the Jays organization in 2002. So tell us, uh, you know, how that happened. Um, and uh, you bringing Gibby in and and uh, and, and what his role was going to be and then what it eventually became, and which was uh, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, most people think there's these grand plans on how all these things work out. What happened was Gibby was managing in AAA, and I, I'd seen him the year before. We went out to breakfast, and he said, you know, he's really looking for another challenge. He was trying to get to the big leagues. So long story short, he – he leaves the Mets um, because he just is tired of managing the AAA. And I get the job in Toronto. He calls me up. He goes, hey, I need a job. I said, okay. Uh, I said, the only job I have is a bullpen catcher's job that will get you to the big leagues. But it's your low man on the totem pole, but it's a job. So he says, Entry I'll level. Take it. Entry level. So he says, I'll take it. So he comes to spring training. And of course, the first week he's catching bullpens, he's got to get his knees drained. He can barely he can barely catch his, the bullpen because you know he's he's a beaten up old player. So anyway, we try to work through that. And and long story short, we ended up making a change with the manager and everybody else. And I was able to at least uh, get him as a first move him over to first base. And then ultimately, uh, after a couple of different managerial moves, I was able to give him the job. And uh, and it was great. It was it was it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, the relationship you both had, and over the years, uh, there was a lot going on. I mean, 
Gibby is manager of the Blue Jays, you as a GM. Um, what are you, some of your best memories of Gibby as a manager uh, during during that time? Well, I think Gibby has this uh, – I know he's a cult hero in Toronto, and I, I think it's, I think yes. it's great. I think it's great. Um, Gibby comes across as this kind of like slow moving bumpkin guy that really doesn't pay attention to a lot of things. But I knew what Gibby's baseball acumen was all about. And I knew Gibby paid attention a lot better than maybe his uh, persona uh, showed. So I think, you know, Gibby came across to the media and the fans as just kind of an aw shucks kind of guy, but I knew there was a lot more to him. And, uh, there's a lot of things about Gibby. I think players love playing for Gibby because he let them be themselves. He treated them like mm -hmm. men. Uh, I still say to this day in the American League, what you have to be able to do, and now in all of baseball, because as a DH, you have to be able to run a bullpen. And Gibby ran a bullpen better than anybody. And I remember when we had Alex Anthopoulos with us, who, you know, obviously him and Gibby became great friends too. Uh, but I would explain to Alex that, Gibby really runs a really good bullpen, and that's going to be the key for us because the lineup is the lineup in the American League at the time. And Gibby really did a wonderful job of piecing that bullpen together and, and really knowing when to take guys out, knowing when to, you know, give a guy a little bit more leash. Um, so I think what, what stands out to me about Gibby as a manager was just the fact that he really ran a good ship. And, um, yeah. And he cared tremendously. Uh, he he kind of brushed it off like he didn't, but he he cared tremendously. And he was a pleasure to work with because it wasn't a situation. I, mean, I said, Gibby, look, I'm going to get you the players. We're going to talk about the players. The game starts, you run the game. You know, it's not going to be a situation. You got your finger on the pulse. I trust you. We're going to have some disagreements here and there. But for the most part, you know, that's how we did things. And he, uh, I thought he did a great job. And then, then when I was let go and Alex took over, and Alex brought him back, you know, they were in a way better position uh, monetarily to bring other players in. And, you know, they had a really good run and I was, I was happy for him. Yeah. I mean, uh, and he was never afraid to, uh, you know, call out a player. I mean, cause the players did respect him, but sometimes he had a few confrontations. Uh, one of the most famous ones was the Shea Hillenbrand uh, uh, situation with the whiteboard and, and uh, do you want to comment or talk about that a little bit? Because that was so interesting and it's still being talked about all these years later. Well, like, like all the things, you know, uh, there's the urban legends of things and there's the truth. And, uh, you know, in all, in all honesty, uh, you know, Shay, Shay and his wife were adopting a baby and, um, you're allowed three days uh, of time to go home and have the baby. But they weren't the, – the, the wife was not giving birth to the baby. They were adopting the baby. But we still gave them the three days out of out of respect. And then yeah. uh, Shay called on the second day and just said he needed more time. And I said, well, we really need you back here. Um, long story short. So when he came back, he wrote something – not nice on the board in the locker room. No. And, uh, you know, Gibby went down there and took offense to it. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they ended up having a little bit of a scuffle, but I guess the backstory to this and the funny story to this would go in my book. If I ever wrote one, 
I was getting treatment on my back in the trainer's room and I had all these needles in my back. And if you've ever been in the clubhouse in Toronto, the trainer room is, is a ways away from the clubhouse and it's like a hallway. And George Poulos comes running down and poor George, he, he stutters when he gets excited. And he started telling me that you got to get in the clubhouse. Uh, I said, what's the matter, George? He said, there's a fight in the clubhouse. <laughs> So I go running down the hallway, pulling the needles out of my back, and I get down there, and you know there was there was a scuffle going on. But uh, anyway, you know, uh, Gibby stood up for the team. He did the right thing, and uh, and we did the right thing. In all in all honesty, I mean, Shea did a great job for us. We traded for him, and he came over. And he was an all star for us the first year, and the second year mm-hmm. we just it just fell apart. But uh, so that's another funny story. We. Uh, so now I'm sitting upstairs with Alex, and I said, well, I said, there's no way Hillenbrand could be on this team anymore. I said, we're going to have to designate him for assignment. So he says, well, how are you going to do it? I said, well, we're just going to designate him and then take our chances. And if we get something, we get something. If we don't, we just can't have a guy that doesn't want to be a part of the team here. Uh, so anyway, we designate for assignment. I tell him to go home. We're going to designate for assignment. And you have, and, and when you do that, you have 10 days to trade someone. Uh, if not, they become mm-hmm. a free agent. So we get Shay out of the clubhouse. We send him home. And now we have to have a press conference. And uh, so now I'm thinking, what am I going to say to the press? You know, how am I going to tell them what happened? And I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know, for the life of God, I can't, I can't remember what happened, why it popped in my head. But as I'm walking to the mic to explain to the press what happened, I'm thinking of uh, Drew Barrymore in Irreconcilable Differences when she says, <laughs> so I get to the mic and the first question is, what happened with Hillebrand? And I said, we designated for assignment. And they said, why? And I said, uh, Irreconcilable Differences. Irreconcilable Differences. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, it just popped in my wow. mind and there was no yeah. other questions, but. In yeah. all fairness, uh, you know, Shea has has expressed his remorse over that that situation. And look, at mm-hmm. like all things, everybody's a competitor. There's a heat of the battle. Things happen. You know, the Gibby with Ted Lilly thing. T- Ted and, and Gibby were good friends. You know, it just yeah. the heat of the battle. People don't understand. You know, sometimes the worst emotions come out in the heat of the battle. But the public thinks yep. everybody should be perfect and pristine. And, you know, uh, it just doesn't work like that. So. You know, Shay did no. something that was wrong. He was sorry about it later, as we all were. As, as, you know, it goes on. But anyway, Gibby showed great leadership there, and uh, I always think of Drew Barrymore when I think of that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a funny recollection for sure. It really is. And Gibby, of course, remains friends with guys. He's had confrontations with Josh Donaldson. I mean, yep. Josh wrote the forward for Gibby's book, yep. uh, and Josh has been on the podcast before, and uh, those guys still are very, very tight. So. Yeah, he did a battle. Uh, competitors are competitors, and uh, it happens in the game. You are listening to The Gibby Show, presented by our friends at Miller Lite. And this holiday season, when you're heading out to that party, enjoying friends and family at your home, New Year's Eve is coming up, uh, New Year's celebrations, don't forget to include Miller Lite to those festivities. They have been the official sponsor right here at The Gibby Show, uh, and I know Gibby uh, is certainly going to be cracking open a few Miller Lights as we uh, f- finish 
the holiday season with New Year's Eve approaching. After all, any time really is Miller time. The light beer that tastes like a real beer, Miller Lite, once again, the official beer of Major League Baseball and right here on the Gibby Show, and we thank them so much for being a part of this season. Corner booths, sticky floors, weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite, great taste, 90 calories. Tastes like Miller time. Uh, you spent a lot of years with Toronto uh, after leaving Toronto. I mean, the hardest thing you had to do probably was fire Gibby. Obviously, that was not that was an terrible. easy thing for you to do since terrible. you guys were so yeah. close. I mean, um, and uh, and then, you know, you wind up going back to the Mets, working there for a number of years, several years, actually. Uh, and uh, you, you end up um, going back and going to the, the Giants in 2018, uh, and spending several years there as uh, a senior advisor. So uh, uh, what is, um, you know, what is the next step for you after you completed this season? I mean, uh, what's next for JP? Well, I think I told you this on the phone. Uh, pretty pretty sure I think I'm going to retire. Um, yeah. I, I would like to do something in the right situation, but, you know, baseball's changed so much. There aren't many right situations. So, uh, you know, I've had a great run. I've had a great career. I was able to do a lot of things. Uh, you know, my wife and I are still relatively young and, uh, yes. there's a lot of things that we, we haven't done because of baseball, uh, that we'd like to do and why we have our health. And, uh, mm-hmm. I really don't have any regrets. I mean, I made some, some amazing friends, some amazing friendships, uh, was able to make a living at a game that, you know, has been way better than me than I've been to the game. And, you know, it's, yeah. uh, so I'm looking forward to see what's down the road. I don't know if I'll 100% retire, uh, but right now, uh, that's kind of how I'm leaning. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously, uh, we go back a long time, and we're going to bring on somebody that also goes back a long time with you. A little surprise, JP. We figured we'd make it a surprise, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there he is. Hey, hey guys. Hey. hey are, you, are you awake? Oh, barely. You know, I sleepwalk through life. <laughs> hey, hey, what did uh, we save the, be- the best for last for the show or what? Well, yes, we did. Get out of time. Uh, hey, are you in your man cave? No, I'm in my kitchen. My wife is in the background making sure I say hi to Johnny Gibbons. <laughs> hi, Diane. John. She's How yelling at I'm good. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hey, you too. Is she cooking you breakfast, man? You got it, man. Oh, okay. Breakfast? It's 11 o'clock here. Come on. Let's go. What, what are you having, pasta? Not That'll be tonight. <laughs> yeah, but you got a nice, uh, nice background there. Look at that. Dude, that was that was set up strictly for the show. I was going to say, know? what is it, like a drop, drop down? There's no way you do yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. The funny thing is, I'm in none of those pictures. <laughs> it is well, the, the go- first time we've been together in 42 years guys together like this like all seeing each other it's kind of cool maybe well, there's a reason for that maybe <laughs> all, we, all we need is Hennessy Hennessy speaking of Hennessy uh-huh. where they, hey uh two Italians and an Irishman yeah but you got Boston roots we'll take you 
Well, thank you. You know, I was figuring, though, I was thinking about earlier today, when you look at this group, we were all together in Shelby. We didn't win many games, I don't think, did we? No. Just no. Because we needed, we needed a few more Southern boys. <laughs> oh, Gibby, you, you got a microphone and everything. Look at you. Hey, Jay, it's professional, brother. I was going to say, look at you. It's unbelievable. Hey, did you guys already talk about your baseball stuff at all? Yeah, we talked about you, which I told John. I've been carrying you for 42 years. I'm sick of talking about you. <laughs> Actually, you know, that is a fact. That is a fact. I got it. You know, hey, hey, Jay's, hey, Jay's the reason I got into the big leagues. There's no question about it. You know, I, yeah. I owe him a lot. You, you know, kept yourself uh, there. No, no, no. Well, but you got to, hey, you know how it is. You got to get opportunities. Somebody doesn't give you an opportunity, you know, and then, uh, so I'll never forget that, you know. One of the good throwback baseball men. Worst bullpen catcher I ever had. <laughs> so you remember, oh boy. I showed up spring training. My, my knee blew up that first day squatting. <laughs> hey, hey, I warned you, though, before you hired me, I said, listen, I ain't squatted in 10 years, although bullpen, bullpen catcher is the perfect description oh, for my career. What a, my, what, a my deal. what a broken down guy I got, John. <laughs> hey, you guys, so, I mean, you've gone uh, – down the road, you know, for many, many years, decades, uh, JP, you give him a shot. You guys really have this lifelong friendship and the ups and downs. Uh, talk to us, uh, Gibby. What do you respect most about JP? And JP, tell Gibby what you most respect about him in the years that you've known him. Well, you know, we, when we first met, we were playing together. You know, uh, I think we hit it off right away. You know, you, you could just tell, you know, I knew J, JP was from Worcester, Worcester, Mass. Worcester. And he was a straight, he's a straight shooter, man, like all them Bostonians, right? And uh, people, and most people can't always, don't always take that the right way, but you always knew where he stood. And we just, you know, I had I had Boston uh, roots myself uh, somewhat. And uh, so, the, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, we, uh, it was just a, a natural friendship there, you know, and, uh, you know, he was a, had a great work ethic. You know, I saw I saw that, and uh, a good good came from a great family. So, you know, I don't know. I you know, I, I we just we just hit it off. You know, there's certain guys you know you like that are that are either honest or true. You know, and and uh, that's kind of how it all happened. And like you said, he he wasn't joking when he said he carried me because he he definitely carried me, gave me gave me an opportunity. You know, I was a, uh, you know, I was floundering in the Mets organization, and then, of course he got the job in Toronto. Uh, he got the job in Toronto before they were allowed to spend any money. You know. And then, uh, yeah. And so he he brought me over there, and then uh, you know, uh, gave, gave me gave me my opportunity in the big leagues. Like you know, every every all guys coming up, coaches to the minor leagues all want to get to the big leagues, and and, and uh, it's it's hard to do. And he gave me that, and I'll you know I'll never forget that. And uh, yeah, you run into people your whole life, you know, and it's whatever it is, whether you're working or you're not working, whatever it is, you and there's people you just connect to, and there's people you just feel comfortable with There's people that you, you know, also run into and you're like, mm, you know, I don't see that working out too good, but you know, Gibby, I, I think out of the whole thing, I'm just more proud of our friendship than anything. I talked to him the other day and I hadn't talked to him in a while. It was like, you know, we, we haven't even missed a step. So, uh, yeah. you know, I just, uh, we, we hit it off right away. We've, we've become good friends. Our friendship has grown over the years. It's different, different levels. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just I'm so proud of him. Uh, he's done a great job. He's done a really good job. He's had a great career. 
you know, he's got the Mets now. Good luck with that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> or they're no, stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. No, you'll do, you'll do you'll do a good job there. Uh, but no, he's a good 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 friend. I love him, and uh, I, I'm just happy to see that things worked out for him. Yeah, it goes full circle, and now he's back where it started. And of course, you spent time in the Mets organization, so really, this is kind of cool. Now, I am going to tell you that we did uh, attempt to get Mike Hennessy. We got audio on Hennessy. Mike, oh. you there? Voice, I see you. Unfortunately, you can't see me. I apologize. Is that John Rizzi? Yes. How you doing, man? Good, brother. I haven't talked. Your name comes up very often in the circles, but uh, it's good to talk to you. Hey, Henny, he says you own 50 bucks rent. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that poor thing I did to him that one time, he got very mad at me. We won't. Oh, what do you mean? When you when you broke in, like, in the middle of the night, like at 3 in the morning, you guys were coming back from a road trip, and, and I hear, so, like, someone breaking in into the bedroom window where I was sleeping, and all of a sudden I see this dude climbing in the window, and I'm like, I grab a baseball bat. And it's and it's Hennessy. I guess he was getting in there to open the door for everybody. And I'm like, he broke right in. He didn't even tell me who he was. <laughs> Whose baseball bat? Who did you steal that from? Whose bat? No wonder we ran out of bats at that level. Maybe it was a, a Danny Monzone special. Oh, <laughs> oh God, man! It always was our manager. Titus, oh, that's the personality. <laughs> he was a good hey, Mike. Mike, what do you remember most about these guys, Mike? Um, I think, uh, really they're just good friends and we remain friends a lifetime. So that's all, that's the best thing you could say about him, about Gibby and yeah. just good boys, really good boys. Same upbringing, good family, even though, uh, J JP's favorite player now is that, uh, DeVito from the oh. Giants. <laughs> you know, I remember I've been at Gibby's house, JP's house when we were young kids and, that was my first good taste of all the good Italian food, to be honest with you. We went up there in Worcester, Mass. And I still have yep. a couple up there and from Palmer, Mass. Yeah, you uh, used to have that white Trans Am. Oh, yeah, I remember oh. that. What, what that was. Uh, remember, hey. we, remember we crushed Gibby's car when it died, he got concussed. We had to drive his car <laughs> over there. and We were grinding the shit out of that. <laughs> and we were well, looking at each other saying, Man, if Gibby was here right now, he'd be so bad. <laughs> hey, that was my that was my bonus baby car. Trans uh, too, but I actually loved your two eighty Z is one of my all time favorite cars. Yeah, and had one in red. Remember that one, Jeff Bettendorf? That's right. That's right. It's and Beater had one. Beater had that gold black one, the limited edition Beater. Remember? Uh, what does he think he was the Times uh, Rocky Balboa? <laughs> yeah, he did. He thought he was a movie star down the road. <laughs> Hey, hey, Jay! Remember though, we we drive to that boat. We lived out there in uh, outskirts of town. We 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 drive past that Catholic church every every day on the way to uh, the ballpark. And Henny, Henny, we drive right by the Henny. We'd always bless himself, right, being a good Catholic boy. And they say, Henny, what are you what are you doing? One day, I asked him, what, what are you doing? He goes, hey, I I need some hits. And I go, I said. Well, God ain't listening apparently because you ain't getting many. <laughs> well. Between the three the of us, month. between the three of us, he didn't listen to any of us. I know exactly. <laughs> hey, Mike, I'm sure you're going to be at some Met games next year. Now, uh, no, never, absolutely never, never. at a Met game. Never, not even would give me the dugout. 
Uh, I'd go see. Well, I I don't really root for the Mets. Never have. I'm a Yankee guy. Uh, okay. Like, <laughs> I vote, wrote it hard for him. And uh, I will root for the Mets next year because of Gibby. 100%. There you go. We definitely got to get together at a game. We'll sit right by the dugout, and you know you could you could harass Gibby right there next to the dugout while he's uh <laughs> while he's the bench coach. Uh, Riz, you were the announcer, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, I did everything down there. You did everything. Oh, my goodness, you called. I was play- like, uh, you know, from from housing ball players to selling advertising to announcing uh, to. Uh, you know, trying to keep Jack Farnsworth uh, from firing everybody, <laughs> which he did. I think we went through about 15 guys. Oh. Yeah, get those foul balls back from those kids. You know, anyone who caught a foul ball, these little kids would chase, get the foul ball back, and he didn't give them any money. Give them a hot dog and a soda. But Jack then they so- soap them up after the game, man, and use them the next night. Yes. It's, it's film all over the balls, and they wonder why we couldn't be throwing the balls in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> and he had that he had that big cigar in his mouth all the time and uh he even had a pair of pants with his pictures on him uh it was like uh there was like a pair of slacks he had his uh, you know like a facsimile of himself on the on the pants uh, uh but he was one of the most unique individuals he was initially a bible salesman that's where he made his money hey, that's Shocker. back when minor league yeah but when that's back when minor league baseball was really minor league baseball oh man. god he was like fog on leg on <laughs> This has been awesome, guys. I mean, it really has been. Uh, Mike, I mean, wishing you the best. Uh, great New Year. And it's really great to hear your voice after so many years, man. Thank you. It's good to see you. I apologize for not being able to zoom in on this handsome not, face. Not a problem. But it's uh, the first time in uh, 42 years that all four of us have been together. And it's been uh, it's been really cool. Thank you. Love all you, right. boys. Really. Love you guys, Thank too. you, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. All Happy Merry right. Christmas, Happy New Year to both of you, to all, all right. of you. Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, you so much. Hey, Merry boys. Christmas. What a great reunion that was, uh, bringing together Gibby, J.P. Rashardi, and even a audio guest appearance by the other roommate, Mr. Mike Hennessy. Uh, those were great memories from all those years ago. But now it's time for the final best of Gabbing with Gibby segment, and that is brought to you by Tim Hortons. And I hope everyone out there had a great holiday. Uh, And, of course, at Tim's, there's a new and fun lineup of giftable items for everyone on that holiday shopping list. Now available at participating Tim Hortons restaurants across Canada, you could give the gift of Tim's with a three-pack of Tim's scented candles, an apple fritter, French vanilla cappuccino, and maple scents. Also, that puzzle, you could pick it up right at Tim's. It's the snowy Timbits 500-piece puzzle or the new limited edition Tim Hortons Winter Blend Fine Grind Coffee and Candy Cane Hot Chocolate Mix. Help a loved one add to their Tim's collection with a new version of annual Tim Hortons holiday merchandise. Uh, And that includes the Tim's holiday snow globes, the ornament, the ceramic mugs, and stainless steel travel mug. Uh, That is always good all year long. Pick up some hot chocolate ornaments as a fun gift to include with all of the holiday cards that you send out. Tim Hortons holiday merchandise available at participating Tim's restaurants in Canada while supplies last. The availability varies by restaurant. And on today's final best of gabbing with Gibby, we go back 
into the archives and share some love for the city of Toronto and the Blue Jays. Over the course of these past 50 shows, we've had a lot of past and present Jays on this program, along with coaches, ex-Jays managers, announcers. They all talk about how unique and special the team is and the city as well. So today, we're going to share their love for Toronto with you on this last Gabbing with Gibby. Kevin Kiermeyer. I know these people here are in Canada in general. They love their sports teams, and I, I have felt the love since the get-go. I came up here to Toronto uh, in January. They had a winter tour, and me and some of the other players went to a hockey game. And uh, obviously, you know, the Maple Leafs are huge. Everyone loves them, rightfully yes. so. And then when the camera panned to the Blue Jays, people were pumped to, to see the guys even in January, months before the season started. So I knew – right away that uh, these people are serious about their sports. And I'm just so honored and, and privileged to, you know, try to go put a great product on the field for these people to root for and live vicariously through us out there on the field. I mean, we care so much and, and want to be the best dang team out there. And it's so fun to be a part of. And once again, these fans showing me the love they have, it's, it brings the best out of me. I said, I <laughs> jokingly said I might have peaked too early making that catch and then hitting a homer because I think people are going to expect that every day out of me. But I'll get up to my old tricks. Just please love me through the good and bad. But uh, it's been an it's been an awesome start to 2023. And uh, like I said, I'm having the time of my life meshing with a new group of guys and, and such a fun, talented, hungry team. Yes. And you and you feel at home there, too. I mean, you actually, uh, for the first time in your major league career, rode your bicycle to the ballpark. Yeah, that was that was so much fun. I uh, I randomly one day just looked. I'm like, are there any electric bike stores near me? And there's one like a mile away, right on the way to the field. I'm like, all right, I'm going today. I'm buying one. Um, I'm about four and a half miles away from the field. So I said, you know what? This will give me a chance to take a like see the city a little bit better. And uh, I want to take all this in as much as much as possible. Yes. And when I did that, you know, in Tampa, I lived 26 miles away from the field. So no shot I'm doing. You know, that's not even a thought. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, you know, what? I want to expand my horizons, do something different. And I rode to the field twice uh, over the weekend. And uh, it was a thrill for me. It was so much fun. And I'm going to do it many more times. Chris Bassett, what was the final decision on your part to say, you know, Toronto's where I want to be? I mean, there, obviously, there's there's so many factors that go into it. Um, first and foremost, obviously, is family. Um, like I have I have a, a three year old daughter, my wife. Um, we have a son that's gonna it's basically due any day. Um, so so it was like, all right, like we're gonna be we're gonna be going to a place to raise a family. Um, so it, it came down to that, obviously. So like it was like, all right, we need some support system. So I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, so my family's kind of close to Toronto. Um, and so so that was a big thing for me. And I, obviously, Toronto's a, a beautiful city. It's safe. It's clean. Um, so, so I mean, all those aspects, when it came to family, Toronto just so easily checked every box. Um, so that, that was that was an easy thing. Um, people always uh, people always like talk about money. And, and to me, 
money is like the, the fourth or fifth or sixth thing down the down the list. Um, and then obviously, uh, to me, obviously, the, the second thing for me outside of family was just I, I need to go somewhere that has a chance to win. And I'm not talking like, oh, I have to go to like number one World Series contender. But I'm, I'm talking like, all right, I know for three or four years or however long I'm here, we're going to have a good team. I've been on teams, unfortunately, with Oakland where we were bottom of the barrel. We were one of the worst teams in the big leagues. And I knew how miserable that was and how taxing that was, not just on me, but on families and everything else. And it was like, I don't want to put myself or my family in that situation. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just all those little factors, I guess, that kind of added up. Jose Batista. I came to Toronto as a guy trying to find a spot. And not only the organization and the coaches and the players and the staff, but every single one of the fans just welcomed me from the first day. And it was a great um, kind of place for me to come uh, or to get to leave in Pittsburgh because, you know, like we talked about the transition between uh, front offices and organization. Sometimes when you're in an organization and you're part of the guy, the group that's leaving, you know, they certainly, it doesn't feel good, right? You know that they're cleaning house and you're going to be part of that exit. Uh, so I left Pittsburgh going through a similar transition, coming into a new place in Toronto that was seeing something in me and wanted me to be a part of what was happening next. Uh, it was a great feeling to be somewhere where I was welcome and, and looked as an asset and somebody that could contribute and be a part of it. And I'll never forget that. And then the fans is just the love for the team nationwide and how they embrace all the players. It was different. You know, a lot of teams in the U S they, they have historical teams like the pirates, the Cardinals, the Yankees, and, some of the old franchises like the Cubs. And that's also different. But for some reason, it had gotten diluted in Pittsburgh a little bit. And I don't mean to talk bad about them, but the situation had changed there. So going to a place where the Blue Jays were like the crown jewel of a whole country, not just a town, it was palpable. You could feel it. And the fans make sure that they um, they let you know. So it was uh, uh, really exciting and, and good for me to get to Toronto when I did. And uh and just make the rest of my career at home uh, there. So, and that's truly what has, has become for me. Toronto is, is my second home or my home away from home. And uh, I'm forever thankful. Cito Gaston, because you're not representing a state. You're representing a country. Gibby's talked a lot about what it's like to win in Toronto. Uh, Cito, what are your recollections about winning it all in Toronto and the fan base there and representing an entire country? Well, as you said, you represent the entire country, which is pretty amazing if you think about it, because there's not too many. You know, we we had Montreal in there for a little bit, but not not for long. But uh, there were most most fans in, in in Canada, pretty much Toronto Blue Jay fans, even all the way out to the West Coast, as you can see. And Gibby knows when you go out to playing uh, Seattle, there's more fans, oh. there's more Blue Jays fans in the stands than there are Seattle fans at times. Depends on the year. And so it's it's quite an honor to be able to say that you represent an entire country as opposed to a, a state. And I tell you what, they've always been great to me up here. Uh, as I spoke with Gibby yesterday, uh, I let him know I was still here. I, I've been, I'm still here. And uh, I love coming up here. I love the city. The people have been super nice to me here. And I never get any, I always get uh, all kind of a, I mean, I'm not like that. I'm not the guy that needs to be known. Uh, but people come up to me on the street all the time and they thank me for what we did here. 
and I just appreciate this country and this city. But uh, plan for a whole country, you just think about that. That's pretty amazing. We're pretty fortunate we had the opportunity to do that. Mr. Don Mattingly. They made it easy. Uh, as, I, as, as Ross called this winter and, and talked about the situation, and I, I'd seen their club. We'd played them a couple of times. Uh, when I was in Miami the last few years, COVID year, and I think maybe the year after, both times in Buffalo. And so you've seen the talent. Uh, obviously, I'd been to the city of Toronto before, like the city. Uh, at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. Uh, honestly, right. I, I knew I just didn't want to be in Miami. I thought it was time for a new new voice down there, and, and it's worked out with Skip in, in Miami. Um and so I didn't quite know what I, I got an eight year old. So I didn't know if I'm going to be with T-ball or, you know, whatever we're doing here. Uh, but I think the fit was, was right. And I think that's what, what drew me to Toronto. Like you said, I think Snides is a, is a really good decision maker and a, and a young manager, um, but knows what he wants to do. Uh, like you said, staffs are younger nowadays. You have a lot more information that filters in. I think you do need to find that balance between the information and some guys that just you got to understand competing and, and getting after it. I think there's some players there that, you know, I felt like my voice was is good for for them to be able to talk and, and talk baseball and, and advancement and, and how you get better. And because we got some really good young players, but there's still room to grow. Right. And so I, I felt like Toronto was a great fit for me. Carlos Delgado. I always say Toronto was and is like a second home to me. This is the team that gave me an opportunity to break into professional ball. And if you look at my career, you, pro you probably say, oh, this guy had a good career, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I got sent down a couple of times before I established myself. I switched position two times before I established myself. So I got called up in 1993. I caught one game. Uh, then in, in 1994, uh, I made the team out of spring training playing left field, which I never played left field before. Good thing I could hit. Um, and then I got sent down. That's the year of strike. And then I come back in 95. Uh, I'm a part-time DH while I transition to first base. So I will always appreciate the organization for being patient with me, for giving me the opportunity to establish myself. Yeah, from 1996 on, I was able to get better at, at, at first base. I was able to establish myself as a, as a hitter, so I kind of earned it. And then, obviously, the relationship that I did over those 10, 11 years with the fans was fantastic. I think uh, Toronto is a wonderful place. Um, we, I still enjoy it, enjoy the, my visits there. I still have good friends there. So... In an ideal world, you say, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to play there my whole career. But, you know, sometimes things change. I, I had the opportunity to go to New York, which is uh, a, a, a great uh, venue. Uh, gave me the opportunity to be in my, in my first playoffs in 2006. Uh, you playing in front of a crowd where, with a lot of passion drive. oh yeah oh yeah i'm how do you compare the the, the fans in toronto <laughs> how do you compare the, the fans in toronto to those in new york like i said uh, before we started i was at every one of those playoff games in 2006 and i was at city field yesterday and and the passion of the fans in new york 
and the passion of the fans in Toronto. What's the difference between the two fan bases? John, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the the fans in Toronto are not passionate. I, what I would say is the intensity. For some reason, the New Yorkers are a little louder. And they might be a little rougher around the edges, which is okay. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, they 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 want to win. They 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 know the game. Uh, the, the expectations are high, you know, yeah. especially for the Mets, you know. Like across town, you got the Yankees. They got, the, what, 26, 27 championships. I don't even know how many. But, you know, you got the Mets and, you know, like more blue collar. So, the, I think the intensity and the, and the, and the noise is a little different. I'm not saying that they're either more passionate than the Blue Jays or anything else. I'm just saying that uh, it's just it's, it's different. Uh, they're they're a little rougher, you know. Canadians are much more polite, you know. <laughs> hey, which is I'm gonna say it for, I'm gonna say it for you. They're miserable up there. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I got nothing to say about about that that Blue Jay fan base because you know what? Oh. They welcomed me. They supported me. They made me feel like home. Uh, yes. So it, it was a lot of fun to get out there and, and try to put on a good show for them. Justin Smoke. I think I got designated by Seattle, and Toronto kind of picked me up, and I was like, oh, man, what what do I got going on now? I've already I've already been in Seattle. Now I'm going to Toronto. What the, what the heck's going on? But um, when I got there from the get-go, I mean, and, and I had a – I had a one-year deal that I had signed, but I still had to make the team. I mean, I and I, and I didn't have a good spring that year. I don't know if you remember. I, I, I didn't have, you know, I was, I was backing up a little bit, you know, and spring training is never that easy. And, you know, I, I didn't have a great spring. And towards the end, I finally, you know, started, you know, playing a little better. And, I mean, it wasn't until probably the last week of the spring. And I remember Gibby telling me, he's like, hey, you know, congrats, you made the team. And I was like, well, you know, I, I appreciated it because I knew – with the guys that we had, we, we had a really good team. And so I knew I was going to be a part of something that was going to be pretty cool. And, you know, I, I think the rest is kind of history. I mean, the, the, the teams that we had and, you know, what, what, what we did, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah. You, you certainly had a, a, you know, the fan base, uh, your favorite of fan base, and you had the opportunity Recently, to get back up there to Toronto, uh, you attended the induction of uh, Jose Batista in the Jays' level of excellence. And how was that experience for you, getting back up to Canada uh, and being part of that great ceremony? And uh, give us some of your memories of playing with uh, Batista. Well, I think I think the biggest thing up there is, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, you are playing for a whole country. And, I mean, those fans are just absolutely – Crazy. Gibby, Gibby's probably told you a gazillion times, but you know, you, when, when you leave it and then when you go back, it's, it's cool to go back because you, you know, it makes you realize, you know, how special those times were. And, um, you know, it, it's not like you forget, but you know, it's something, you know, when you go back, it does remind you how, 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 how cool it was. And, you know, we, you know, and, you know, would it be that way if we didn't have the teams that we had and, and did as well as we did? Probably not, but you know, when you win, everything, you know, good things happen for everybody. Exactly. Hey, there's, hey, Smokey, there's no substitute for winning, is there? For crying out loud. No. <laughs> hey, no. I, I, spent two, I, I spent two tours up there in Toronto, right? You know, they ran me out one time the first time, right? Then I, then I came back. And it was kind of a – it was Anthopolis, you know, was running the team. And um, 
uh, you know, they, uh, what's it, what's the manager? He went to the Red Sox, John Farrell. He wanted out, you know, the, the old, uh, yep. dream team or he went, that was his dream job. So Alex came back for me. Right. And then, uh, I said, I said, you're crazy, man. And I, this ain't going to probably go over well for you. And then we got off to the first couple of years of slow start and I'm going, Oh my God, they're going to run me out of here again for crying out loud. And then, uh, <laughs> but then everything came together, right? Everything came together, and and uh, but you kind, yep. you kind, really your game came together too in in uh, Toronto. You know, if you look at yourself, Batista and Carnacion, you know all three all three of you guys really your game and your in uh, everything came together for you playing in Toronto. Eric Swanson, how has your experience been uh, being a Toronto Blue Jay so far? during this 2023 season? Yeah, I mean, you know, I went through a few different phases when I was in Seattle. Uh, when I first came into the league in 19, um, you know, we weren't very good. 20, we weren't very good. Um, and then obviously COVID, we didn't have fans anyways, but you see kind of the fans. Seattle's got a great fan base. Um, 19, it was a little tough at times because ballpark wouldn't be exactly full. Um and then I got to kind of live the end of 21 when we made that wild card push as Toronto was doing the same. We both went into that last day having a chance to do it. And that last homestand in, in Seattle was was awesome. Fans were great. And then last year, obviously, you know, we, we broke the drought there and, and we had great support all year. So that was really my first taste of, of a really supportive fan base. And then I remember coming here for the wild card series last year and not being able to hear the guys that I was sitting next to in the bullpen because this place was so damn loud. Um, so when I got traded, that was automatically the first thing that I thought of was how ridiculous this fan base was. Um, and it's, it's lived up to it every bit. I mean, we have almost a packed house every single night, whether it's a Tuesday or if it's a Saturday, um, it's it's something very special that a lot of people don't understand unless you've actually been a part of this organization. Uh, I've seen it a little bit in Seattle when Toronto would come in the past. You know, it's 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 a little weird when you go out there and you see mostly royal blue out there um, yeah. as a home player, and then getting to to relive that, but being on this side of it now. Uh, last week when we were in Seattle was was awesome. Um, the support down there. I mean, you got an entire country that's behind one team, uh, and the, I mean the fan base is just it's out of this world, and it's so fun to be a part of. Marco Estrada. I'm not gonna lie, the 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 call. You know, when I was told I was being traded to Toronto, uh, my family wasn't too excited. You know, just because spring training for me was in Arizona. I, I'm living here now and I was living here then. Uh, so they didn't want me moving. So having to move to Florida for spring training and then obviously being in a different country during the season, uh, we, we didn't take it too well. We weren't really sure what to expect. Uh, but I'll tell you what, as soon as I got there, I, I fell in love with the country, you know, the city of Toronto and everything. Um, and then having Gibby there, uh, yeah. who to this day is was by far the best manager I ever had. And I'm not just saying that because he's on here, <laughs> but it's uh, just easy to talk to, man. Easy to talk to. And then I really enjoyed, you know, my time in Toronto with him. Jerry Howard. I lived the first 35 years, years in the States. And uh, I've lived the last 42 years of my 77 years here in Canada. And if somebody would have told me growing up, 
you'll spend more years in another country than the U.S. I would have said there's no way. But Canada has been a wonderful place to live, to raise our kids. Joe still lives here with his wife, Kathy, and our five-year-old grandson, Wes. Ben graduated from Purdue in 2000. Uh, he went to work for a company there in Chicago, and that was 22 years ago. Now he runs the company. And Joe, a year later, graduated from Notre Dame. Uh, we loved that was our background. Mary is from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and went to the University of Michigan. And so we we had that U.S. background that led to our kids going to Purdue and Notre Dame. And so overall, when I think about that, too, I'm so happy that they were educated doing their own thing now. But I never dreamt that we would be in Toronto. And this is where we'll end our lives. Why? Because it's so comfortable here and the people are so good. And Toronto has been just such a blessing. And then to go across Canada like I did, uh, meeting so many people, it's been just a wonderful experience. And I know you share a lot of that with me, too. Yeah, Jerry, you know what? Hey. Hey, Canada, Canada has been good to both of us. You know, you've been good to Canada and in uh, Toronto and it's, it's been, it was a match. It was, it was just, it was just supposed to happen, you know? And uh, well, Hey, so uh, you know what, Jerry, it's good to see you, pal. You know what? Uh, I've I missed you. I know, I know the people up there too miss, miss hearing you call the games. Uh, and you know, a lot of these young guys are, they, they got a chance to meet you. You know, uh, you've impacted so, so many lives. And more importantly, just other than the game of baseball in life, you've impacted so many people. And in, in, uh, so we appreciate that, man. We appreciate you coming on here. Johnny, you got anything else for him? This is yeah, uh, legend. Has been, this has been uh, just a pleasure for me and uh, to hear the stories and just to ask a few questions of a legend. Uh, it's been uh, my pleasure to just be able to be a part of this. Well, I want to just wrap, I just want to wrap it up here and say that uh, I have one sister. I never had a brother until I met John Gibbons. And for me, he's the brother I never had. And when you have a brother like that, too, you share your heart, you share your feelings, you share everything that is involved with your lives. And John and I have done that our entire lives and with our kids and grandkids. And that's what it's all about. And I, I just couldn't ask for a better blessing than when I talk about a person, John Gibbons being in my life, and here we are to this day, and we always will be until there are no more days. Joe West. Oh, Canada. You know, this <laughs> of course I know the words, though, Canada. Well, how about singing? You want to be a knockout. If I do that, you have to stand up. <laughs> I, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> you want to do it? I'll sing you a duet it. with you. You get. You can sing the words? No, I'm going to let you do it. You sing it. No, no, no. We have to do this in two-part harmony. Right? Well, all right, all right, all right. Just don't drop any French on me, will you? Oh, Canada. Canada. Our, our home native, native land. True patriot love. love in, in all, all thy sons command. With glowing glow heart, hearts we, we see. Rise. The true north, strong and free, from far and from far We, oh gosh, I'm done. it, George. We, we, God keep on guard for for thee. God keep our land. Glory, honest, and free. 
Get run out of town, man, because I could. I, 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 I what a great way to end our special best of gabbing with Gibby with Joe West and Gibby himself uh, singing Oh Canada. So that was one of the most memorable moments here at the Gibby Show. But we're about to give you another memorable moment. Uh, uh, each week at this time, uh, inspired by our friends over at Miller Lite, we do our roast and toast. Uh, this week, we're going to do something different. Uh, we're going to bring on somebody to toast everyone with us that have been affiliated with the show, the listeners of the show, the sponsors of the show, and someone who uh, this show is named after, Gibby himself, John Gibbons. Let's welcome Gibby back to the Gibby Show. There he is. There he's back. <laughs> Same look I've had for how many how many episodes now? 43, 44? Yeah. Uh, this is actually the 50th show of the run. So we're stopping yeah, never, at number 50. I never was very good at math. Maybe that's why they don't think I could do analytics. <laughs> well, um, uh, um, I hate to inform you, and you probably already know that you're going to be a little knee-deep in that stuff uh, as you come into the 2024 <laughs> season. Oh, yeah, I'm in a crash course, Johnny, but hey, it's good to be back. Good to see you, man, at this final episode. Oh. Yeah, we've had a good one, and, you know, the reunion with JP was cool. Uh, so, I mean, it was it's it's really kind of a, a nice way to put a bow around this thing and wrap it up, and that's what we figured today uh, we'll do a special uh, toast edition of Roast and Toast, and uh, I know you have a lot of people to thank, but before we get to those final thank yous, I want to ask you uh, to walk us through this past month and what it's been like to be John Gibbons over the last 30 days. <laughs> you know what, John, hey, it's, it's, it's been a, it's, uh, it's been a good time for me. You know, uh, the only thing that's changed, you know, is my, uh, my profession, right? Where, 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 what I'm going to be doing next year. You know, I'm kind of at that stage of my life. You know, I've got a wonderful wife. We like to travel a little bit, do photography. But but it's kind of, it's an exciting new new phase, you know, going to get back on the field, uh, you know. But I had a wonderful time doing the show with you guys. You, know, you never know. It may not be over. You, you never know how the, long the baseball goes back. Uh, I mean, how, how long I stay on the field. And uh, so for that being the reason, you know, I got to really thank you for doing a wonderful job as a co-host there. Thank you. you kind of kind of spearheading the old, this whole project and our Mark, our producer, he's out there somewhere, but he, uh, did a tremendous job as well. Kind of organizing yeah. this thing, you know, something he's done all, you know, his whole career. And then the brains behind it, Chris, man, out there in yes. Western Canada, man, hiding in the woods somewhere, you know, put it, put it all together. And, uh, so it's, it's a good bunch of guys that made things easier. And I think we had fun with it. And, and uh, you know, we had some tremendous yeah. sponsors, you know, that make it all happen. There's no doubt about it. You can't do these without that sponsors. And they, they, uh, they were tremendous. They're big time too, you know? Um, oh, Miller, the, Miller Light. You can't get bigger than that, man. It was like official beer, major league baseball and this show. And, uh, you had quite a few Miller Hortons. lights over the course of the season. <laughs> and yeah, Hortons, ex exactly. The thing is I'd have done that if they hadn't been our sponsors. So I guess that's a, well, that's know, true. You, you, you always love both of those <laughs> brands for sure. Uh, but yeah, this has been really a great ride. And and John, what did you enjoy most about doing the Gibby show? 
You know what, John? Well, it was a chance to reconnect with some of the old buddies in the game, you know, that they were nice enough to join us and uh, reminisce a little bit. You know, we had current players and we had some, you know, uh, old timers and some. Yeah, that that, that was the fun part because, you know, when we're all involved in this game, you know, it's like a tight fraternity. You know, we may change teams, change jobs, you know, right here we're doing the media end of it. But but it's still a tight knit group that uh, you know that like to have some fun and get together and share old memories and stories and uh, but you know too the but the number one people we got to thank are the fans you know that uh, tuned us in oh yeah you know that uh, make all this happen they really do and there's a special group up there north of the border and a lot of them down here in the states uh, but you yeah know, there's a lot of sad fans a lot of sad fans we're getting a lot of comments that they hate the show is ending they understand they all wish you the best luck with uh, the the Mets and but it is kind of cool to see how many people uh, in the in the country of Canada and also elsewhere in various countries really fell in love with this show and what you did and the the camaraderie you had with all the ex players people that you were associated with in the game the announcers the ball players the current Blue Jays so it was really uh, it gave them an opportunity to have you talk to these insiders and and it was different than a lot of other podcasts where you were in the game yourself so uh it was always a very comfortable interview situation with whatever the guest might be you, it was just a relaxing conversation and people enjoy that and you did it really really well my friend well i don't know about that but i, I know you know it's funny you been in, been in baseball as long as i have you know, it's uh, one of the beauties of it about it. You never have to grow up. You know, you can be a kid your whole life. So a lot of that was, you know, just sharing that. Still being a kid, sixty, a sixty-one, almost sixty-two-year-old uh, infant yeah. out here, just throwing some. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, the fan, the Blue Jays fans, and and the fans, you know, throughout my career, have always been tremendous to me. You know, undeservingly so, much more than I really deserved. You know, and I, 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 I don't take that lightly, and I'll never forget that. You know, and. um and I always did my best to, you know, give back to them as best I could and uh, be honest with them and let them enjoy well, the entertainment business. Yeah, your authenticity. I think that's what resonated most, even with the Toronto fans. I mean, because they love you. I mean, the JP said it best to me yesterday before we started taping um, or earlier today. I mean, he said basically that you are a hero up there and uh, you were so relatable to the fans and uh, that was indicated hey, when you went back up. And don't insult Canadians like that. Whatever. Don't insult them by saying that. <laughs> no, they loved you. Man. They loved you. They really did. And and uh, and so that's why they it, it resonated with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays fans and other fans that listen to this show. But John, uh, we really wish you the best. I mean, this is the end of the road for for this show, at least for now. Um, uh, but it was a pleasure you know, knowing you for so many years and to do this with you and for this opportunity, uh, it, it was, uh, something that I'll, I'll never forget working with you, uh, on this, on this podcast. And I want to thank you personally for that. And I want to thank everybody who, who listened or watched it on YouTube and Chris, of course, and Mark. And it was just, uh, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, it was. And like you said, you never know what the future holds and, uh, but hey, life rolls on, you know. That's the thing, man. The, the, the life, the life, and the game of baseball moves on with or without us. Right? That is very true. 
All right, Gibby, my friend, uh, we're going to see you in a Mets uniform in 2024. I look forward to uh, seeing you in March when I get down there for spring training. And uh, uh, I can't wait. So best of luck to you. Have a wonderful uh, Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, our paths will cross again. And you never know. It could be a Mets Blue Jays World Series. I'd love that more than anything. All right. Thank you, Gibby. All right, Johnny. Take care. Bye-bye. Corner booths. Sticky floors. Weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite. Great taste. 90 calories. Tastes like Miller time. And that will wrap up the Gibby Show. I want to thank our executive producer who's worked so very hard behind the scenes, Mark Millier, and also uh, our creative guy, the guy that Puts it all together on the production side of it, Chris Sabunia. Uh, and finally, thanks to John Gibbons, Gibby himself. It's been amazing being able to talk baseball with you each week right here. We all wishing you the best with the amazing Mets. And what's next for me? I plan on staying in the baseball podcast game and hope to launch a new show or two in 2024. If you'd like to follow me, find me on X, Instagram, and threads at John Arezzi. For John Gibbons, this is John Arezzi. Thank you again for listening to The Gibby Show.